Happy Independence Day. You know, I, I mean, we're sitting here today, and you think back to 1776, and some of the reasons that America declared independence, one of those was religious freedom. And so we get to sit here today in these chairs and air conditioning to sing to the king of the universe. The words of that song just said, you are my everything. Is that true for you today? Is Jesus your everything? Because if he's not, you have not experienced what true freedom is all about. The only freedom we have is in Christ because when he sets you free, he removes the bonds of sin and death off of your life. Nothing can hold me back. I still contend that the greatest fear any of us has is death. But we have nothing to fear because someday Jesus, it said, who was and is and is to come. Jesus is coming back. And if we're here when he comes back, we'll be transformed. And for those who have passed on before us who are in Christ, they're going to be raised from the dead. Y'all believe that? It's what the Word says. And so if you have your Bible, you have a device, go ahead and go to Hebrews chapter 4. I need some help this morning. Where are all my kids? If you're a kid in this room, say, oh yeah. I didn't hear you. Because if y'all are going to help me do this, you see... What I'm about to show you has nothing of spiritual value. It just doesn't. But we're going to go through our outline today. And in this passage, we're going to read. Let me me talk to the adults for a moment. There are three hortatory subjunctives. Yeah, that's what everybody else said. What? But the way it's translated in most most, uh, translations is the word let us. Say let us. Now say, let us. So every point I make, all the kids in the room, as I reach into this bag, I want you to say, let us. So let's practice. Ready? I'm going to start making a point, and I'm going to go, there you go. You got it. You got it. Again, no spiritual significance until I bless it and put it in my belly. All right. And I will eat it. It doesn't bother me. My dad used to eat the hard-boiled eggs that we would hunt on Easter. He's alive, so, I mean, it's got to be safe. <laughs> you know, we've been, we've been plowing through the book of Hebrews. We started in chapter 1, where it started out about talking about how God had spoken. Say spoken. And he spoke specifically through his son. Say son. And this son, according to chapter 1, is better than, higher than angels. And when we got to the first warning, when he was saying, pay attention, he was talking about this message And how if Jesus is higher than angels, then so is his message. And we need to listen. Say listen. Kids, you you say listen. One listened. (laughs) See that? Y'all are going to make this so fun today. And so then uh, we plowed into chapter 2 talking about how Jesus was the better man. And as the better man, he brought salvation and sanctification. That's a big word. But that's where God is purifying you and me for usage by him, by his Holy Spirit. And he ridded, ridded, that's not a word. He rid us of the fear of death. Why? Because that Jesus who was fully God, fully man, was raised from the dead. Then we started chapter three. 
And he challenged us right at the very beginning that Jesus wasn't just a priest, he was a better priest. He wasn't just a high priest, he's a better high priest. It is he who we hold as our confession. And so as that better high priest, not only did he bring a better mediation, standing in the gap, but then the writer compares him to Moses. If you're going to go right to the jugular of a Jew, go to Moses. The law, the thing that was given that kept them relating to God. And, and so he showed that he's better than Moses. Why? Because as we studied last week, he brought a better deliverance. He brought them out of slavery, the Jews, from the land of Egypt. And we talked about that second warning last week. That not only did we need to listen to what was being said, we needed, said we needed to act on it. We needed to take it and believe it, to put it in our hearts, to pledge allegiance, not to a flag, but to Jesus Christ. You know, I was thinking as we stood there, I put my, heart, my hand on my heart and pledged allegiance to the flag. And folks, have you pledged allegiance to Christ? More than just standing in a room and putting your hand on your heart, have you entrusted your life to Him? Because if not, He said that there, there would be among you evil, unbelieving things that our heart would become hardened because we're lacking the faith to trust what God has said. And as Chuck Swindoll said in that quote last week, if God said it, I need to do it. Plain and simple. And we trace the history of the Exodus from the time they left Egypt to the time of the wilderness wandering. And why did they wander in the wilderness? Because they failed to believe. They, they chose to reject what God had spoken. And so last week we, we emphasized the watch out, the, the immediacy, the today part of the Psalm 95 quotation. Today, let's talk about rest. So would you stand with me as we read this passage? Starting in verse number 11. He says, Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience, which you and I just agreed was their disbelief. But then the writer kind of takes this, this moment to make a statement. Listen to what he says. For the word, the logos of God, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. I don't know about you, I marked that in my Bible when I read that. There is no created thing that is not outside the sight of God. And he says it twice because he says, all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of God with whom we have to do, or in some translations, or to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, there it is, let us hold fast our confession. What confession? The confession we hold in Christ. For we don't have a high priest who can sympathize with our weak, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near. There it is, the third time. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace at the right time. Y'all believe that? Let's pray. Father, as we dig in for the next few moments, 
I pray, God, that you would remove any distraction that we may have in our mind and our heart and that we would listen intently. And then when we get to the end of this message, we would yield our lives to the scalpel of the great physician whose word knows every single part of who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, that's right. I do want to say, parents, nothing your kid can do can bother me. And I want that to be the attitude of all of us. I love the cryouts. I love the interruptions. It really does not bother me. In fact, it really jives me up. So kids, bring it on. Did anybody give them, did anybody give them some dum-dums coming in? We need to get them riled up, right? What does it mean when he says rest? Back up with me for just a moment to the first verse. He says, therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, that any one of you may seem to have come short of it. He says, for if indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they did also, the word they heard didn't profit them because it was not united by faith by those who heard it. God, God's faith is more than intellectual assent. It's more than just the recognition of a fact. Faith is entrusting yourself to the plan of God. It is entrusting yourself that whatever comes into your life, you have to know that God has a plan. And for these early Jews, they were ready to give up. They were ready to throw in the towel. And he's saying, don't turn back from what God has put in front of you. And then at this day and time, it's really easy to do that, isn't it? We diet, we work out, we exercise, we save money. I can't tell you how many people I talked to back in the late 2000s who were so upset when all the years that they had put money into those retirement accounts, all of a sudden, it's gone. Every bit of that security just ripped right out from under them. And these early Jews found their security in doing things. Say doing. You see, for you and me today, we take a lot of pride in the things that we do. That we get the recognition thereof. It's like the Pharisee who stands on the street corner praying in really loud and elaborate words so that they get the attention for what they do. Or the person who, I remember this meme one time I saw um, of this guy going to a homeless community. It's kind of a cartoon sketch. And he had a bag of food in his hand and he had his phone up here like this doing this as he's giving the, giving the food. You and I are wired in our flesh, our sinful flesh, to do things that look good to cover up our bad. Every one of you in this room, if you are really honest, think you're a pretty good person. Don't you? I mean, you know, you might in false humility say, no, I'm, I'm the worst of the sinners. Paul said that, didn't he? He meant it because he understood. You and I are sinners. Left to our own devices, we are evil. You, you, you get that, right? That, that's one of those hard, swallowing truths of Scripture that even on my best day, you know, sometimes we'll say about somebody else, well, they're a pretty good person. I'm sorry, they're a sinner. You're a sinner. Wouldn't you like to be a sinner too? No, I don't want to be a sinner. But it's the reality of humankind. We are all sinners. And we get in this rat race of thinking that, well, I must be a pretty good person if I mess up and I need to do stuff to cover up my mess ups. I need to sweep it under the rug. And so I do these things called self 
self-righteous deeds. And the purpose of a self-righteous deed is to make myself look good. In fact, if you read uh, Tired of Trying to Measure Up by Jeff Van Bonderen, he talks about this idea that we go through one of two cycles. We're either going through this cycle of trying hard to maintain that good image, or we give up. We try hard for a little while. We're going, we're going, we're going. I'm reading more in my Bible. I'm praying every day. And then I just get exhausted and I give up. And I try hard and I give up and I try hard. Have I exhausted you doing my hands like this? Man, if I had those balloon ones those kids had up here today, I'd be making smart. But when you think about rest, and that's the rest that he's talking about in here, the writer gives exactly four, he gives four examples of rest. He's already given one. He had invited the Jews to come out of bondage and go to promised land. But did they get to that rest? No. Well, then the second opportunity was under Joshua. And Joshua is now leading the people into the land that God said was their rest. But when they got there, did they have any rest? You see, we get rest and vacation kind of backwards. The rest that he's talking about here is ceasing. Because the third example he gives in that chapter is that God ceased. He rested on the seventh day. From what? From his works. God was leading them to a land flowing with milk and honey, probably in a place like the Garden of Eden where they didn't even have to grow the crops. But they didn't believe, so they didn't enter that rest. When Joshua led them into the land of Canaan, they had to work to get the land, right? And then you get to Psalm 95 where David is writing and even says, there is coming a rest. So, so for you and me, for the believer, what is the rest? Well, I want you to look at verse number 10. And then we're going to get into this cabbage up here. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works just as God did. When you were saved, there is somebody who did all the work for you. Y'all getting that? You can do all the self-righteous, self-proclaiming works that you want to do and it's not going to doll you up any more than you are now. You are a sinner, incapable of doing what's necessary to achieve righteousness, to enter into the presence of God. But Jesus died on the cross so that he could do the work for you. You know, I'm reminded in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, where he says, you're saved by faith, through grace, by faith. And it's not yourselves, it is the gift of God, not the result of works. And then I'm reminded of the words of Jesus when he said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you more to do. That's not what he says, is it? What does he say? I will give you, say it again. So for the Christian today, standing in faith in Christ, there is nothing you can do to add to your salvation. There is nothing you can do to add to your sanctification. God is doing and has done the work. And the invitation in verse 10 to rest is for us to stop this pursuit of self-righteous works. And true, there is coming an ultimate rest, right? There's coming a day when you and I will leave this world, either through death or through rapture. And when we enter into glory, when we're in the presence of God, there is no more work to do. It has been 
done. In fact, what did Jesus say to comfort his disciples in John 14? Don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there's many rooms or mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And then he said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and get you and take you to where I am. We are tiring ourselves out because we are still trying to earn what Jesus Christ already paid for. And that's the invitation that he's given us today in this idea of rest. We get to rest because, simply put, Jesus did all the work. I love what Chuck Swindoll said. He said, to enter God's rest today, to make a decision to replace our pride and our panic with peace. In other words, the reason you and I keep doing the things that we do is because we think it makes ourselves look better, which is pride. And then sometimes we just get scared and we react and we panic. And so he's asking us today to offer up our fears, our worries, our pains, and our problems to him in prayer. Do it now. He's going to make good on the promise to give us rest now and ultimately someday when we leave this world to give us that rest. So resist the temptation to go back into a works-based gospel. And it's easy to do. You know why it's easy to do? Because we forget who we're following. So point number one, let us. He says in verse number, I love it, verse number 11, let us, let me, just, let me just paraphrase it this way, let us do our best to follow. And I don't like the word do our best. The word in the scripture is diligence, make haste. There's again, the today immediately. I need to do something now. But what is it that I'm doing? Look at the oxymoron in this verse. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. If diligence carries this idea of making haste and, and, and acting, resting is ceasing. You see that? You see the picture being made here. What is the diligence? The diligence here is that we are holding fast to our connection and our confession in Christ. As you, believe, as you burrow down through this, it says, therefore, let us be diligent. That's in the aorist tense. That means a point in time, the commitment to enter that rest. In other words, I need to come to a point where I divorce myself from the doing of works to make myself look better. Let me ask you a question. Are we still doing works? But there's a difference in doing things to earn something and doing things out of obedience. In your home or in the home you may have grown up in, there may have been a time where mom stood up and said, hey, guys, come on, I cooked, you clean. And so you all chipped in, and you got the dishes up, you, 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 did, you emptied them off, you put them in the dishwasher, you wiped down the table. Why? Out of obedience. There's a difference. If I'm doing things to make myself look good, what happens when I stop worrying about what people think? That's called narcissism. Doing of things to make myself, make a name for myself. What did God do the one time that the people of the earth tried to make a name for themselves and build a tower? He came down and he dispersed them and confused their languages. We have the ability, but at the end of the day, we are made to glorify the God of heaven. That is your purpose. That's my purpose. 
But in my sinful state, I can't do that. My flesh rebels against the things of God. And so there's this challenge that I need to do my best to follow. And, and one of those things, and this is why it's so beautiful why he injects this. He then goes and gives some teaching, some exhortation for the Word of God. The Word of God. He, he brings this idea back again. Here's my message. In fact, in that verse, I want you to trace the five things that he said the Word of God does in regard to us following and doing our best. We need to submit and humble ourselves to this Word. He says in here, excuse me, that the Word is living. It's not dead. It's life-giving. It's the same as in 3.12. To not fall away from a living God. Now here's this living Word. And we need to be actively engaged with it. This Word is also active or effective. The word there is the same word we get energetic from. It's not sleepy. It's there and it's working. It has purpose. But you know what else? That word is sharp. Years ago, I went to the beach. And I didn't know what I was going to catch. I walked down to the seashore. And I dug up sand fleas and put them on a hook. And I got lucky. I caught a bunch of pompano. Oh, it was glorious. I let my daughter reel one in. You thought she had a 10-pound something on there about this big. So I get the fish. I'm like, man, I'm going to eat these things. So I go back up to the room, and I'm looking through my tackle. I'm like, where's my fillet knife? I'd left my good fillet knife at home. All I had was my little buck knife in my pocket that's about three inches long, and it was dull as a butter knife. So I lay these fish out, and I go to cutting and doing the best I can. I, I butchered those fish. Got the fillets off, but I filleted them out. Oh, it was, it was wonderful. Wonderful fish. But it was dull. You see, when you read that this word is sharp, that means that the tool was able to cut anything and everything that it wanted. It was able to pierce. Then what he said, pierce all the way down to bone, marrow, soul, and spirit. You know what kind of picture that paints? Every aspect of of who you are. Why is that important? How many of you remember biology class and the, and, the, and the first chance you got to dissect an animal? Well, number one, if you went to dissect an animal with a, with a dull object, all you were going to do is just rip it to shreds. There are things in that anatomy that you can't see if you don't cut it precisely. You need a scalpel. When you hear a two-edged sword, I want you to think a scalpel, the same thing a doctor uses. And anyone in here that has been operated on, you want your doctor cutting exactly. I have had neck surgery where they got close to my nerves. I don't want a nerve cut. There are lawsuits that have happened all over this country because of little bitty nicks. And I'm going to tell you, if it's a dull object, it can do some damage. This word is sharp, and it, and it analyzes everything all the way down to my judgments, my thoughts, and my logic, when he talks about this word, this is what he's saying. Let the truth of God have its way with me every single part. You know, what the image that we saw in the video earlier, the division in our country, the fighting, all of the atrocities that we see on a daily basis, if we had Christians that were willing to lay their life before the Lord with a scalpel to say, God, analyze me. Look inside of me and find those blemishes. 
I think this world would be a little bit, little bit different. And in verse number 13, it goes even farther than that. He says, there is no hidden thing, no creature hidden from his sight. You can try to go and hide yourself. You may think that you can get yourself invested in a people group or a friend group, or you can, you can even run away from church. You know what, I'm just not going to go to church. Maybe that will help me feel better about myself. No, you don't feel better about yourself until you've let the Lord of the universe, the Word of God, dissect you, analyze you. In fact, listen to this. He says, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him. This, this word, I, I'm not going to pronounce it. But the word laid bare is the word from which we get a trach. Do you know what the word literally means? It means to seize something by the throat and lay it open. Back in those days, it was used to either describe wrestlers in a competition and one grabbing the other one by the throat. Or it's used to describe a sacrifice when it's being laid out to kill and bearing its neck. Naked and wide open. This God is a God of judgment. Yes, God is a God of love. But in our day and time, we focus so much on the love, we've diminished the judgment aspect of God. God is a holy God with a righteous standard, and He will mete out His judgment. We deserve to die because of our sin. Now, we can flip this over and talk about the God of judgment without love, and that's an unfair aspect as well. But when I bring those two things into alignment, 100%, 100%, Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. When I bring them into alignment, I see a God who has that high standard, but was willing to pay the price in order to cover the sin and pay for the death that I deserve. I lay my life before that God. I allow him to seize me and to disarm me. And I could choose today to stay in my pride and resist the work of God. Or I could be like David when he wrote, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You, have known, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You've understood my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with my ways. Even before there was a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you knew it all. And he concluded this psalm with this kind of prayer. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. and Try me and know my anxious thoughts. How can he do that? Because the word of God is living and active, right? And sharp, piercing, able to judge. F.F. Bruce says, we may conceal our inner being from our neighbors. And we can even deceive ourselves, but nothing escapes the scrutiny of God. Stripped of all disguise and protection, we are utterly at the mercy of God, helpless and hopeless to the judge of all. Therefore, he says, look at that verse, let us make every effort. Guys, listen, I know we all fall short. We've played games where we come up to, with too, too few points. Maybe we, we were saving up for something and the money just didn't come in. We're running and we're almost at the finish line. For us to be diligent, for us to make haste and to pursue so that those will not fall away, we must be willing to lay ourselves before this God, the Word of God, who knows every part of me. Let us do our best to follow, but also let's do this. Let's hold firm our confession. Look again at verse number 14. Oh, wait a minute, kids, y'all messed me up. Y'all left me hanging. 
Let's try this again on the count of three. One, two, three. Let us hold firm our confession. Let us hold firm our confession. Think back to 31 where he said, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. What is the goal here? The goal here is that you and I would be able to stand in the presence of God. That's the end goal for you and me. When we talk about going to heaven, when we talk about our salvation, we're talking about that you and I are prepared to go stand in front of God. So what do you do to get yourself prepared? Wait a minute, what did he say in the first verse of this lesson? Rest. Rest in what? Rest in the finished work of Christ. In other words, what he's saying here, listen to the text, what he says here. He says, therefore, since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. What image does that give? Gives the image of the high priest who once a year would slay a perfect lamb. And he would go into the temple or tabernacle and he would approach the Holy of Holies, this place that housed the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence dwelt. And in that Ark were the tablets, the Ten Commandments, the law that revealed to you and me the sin that we hold. And that high priest would go in and he would take that blood and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Because you and I, at the hands of a living God, were hopeless, we're judged. We deserve death. But in that moment, between those two angels that were carved into that, onto the top of the ark, that's where God's presence dwelt. And as he would sprinkle the blood of that perfect lamb on the mercy seat, it would form a layer between what held us to our sin and the presence of God. And ladies and gentlemen, Jesus passed through the heavens. He himself being that lamb of God, that perfect lamb, and he has sprinkled his blood on that mercy seat. That Jesus who says, let us hold fast our confession. Holding fast something gives me the idea that I'm going down the steps and I think I'm cool enough to not use the handrail and all of a sudden my foot slips. And what would I do? I hold that handrail fast. Why? Because I don't want to break my bottom. And I don't want to the rest of the way down either. Look back at 2.18. He says, for he, listen, we have a high priest who sympathizes with our temptations. Why? We already read in chapter 2, for since he himself was tempted in that, that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm kind of glad we're plowing out of this warning because now we're hearing this message of hope. You and I stand here today with a message of the gospel presented before us, and we're making a decision. Am I going to entrust my life to this or am I going to reject it? Am I going to keep living life my way? Or do I want to live God, life the way God intended for me? And this God, this Jesus, has a message of hope for you and me today. And that is, he has paid the price. He has passed through the, the veil into the holy of holies. And now he is interceding. Not with actual lamb's blood, but his own blood that he shed on the cross for you and for me. That's the hope message that you and I have today. Jesus is the object of our confession, which means he's ready. Jesus is standing at the door right now, ready to take you and me in, to step in, to lift us up. 
Think about Peter when he stepped out on the bo- out of the wa- uh, boat into the water. And he begins to walk and he's mesmerized. And he's, he's gone, going, whoa, I should be sinking. This is really weird. But then as he looked down, he began to see the waves coming around him because the winds were up and the sea was being tossed. And he began to sink. Why? Because he took his eye off the object of his belief. He wasn't believing that he could walk on water. He was believing in the one who told him to walk on the water. Where is your confession today? Are you holding firm to that? No matter what comes into your life, are you holding to the fact that Jesus is who he said he is and what he did is sure, and now he's extending that to you and me as a gift? In fact, when you get to 5.2, he's talking about earthly priests, and he said, I just love the way this is worded. About the earthly priests, he says, they can deal gently with the ignorant and the misguided. Guilty. On any given day, I begin to doubt. But let me ask you something. Is God big enough to handle your doubts? Is God big enough to handle your questions? Is God big enough to deal with you when you, in in our stupidity sometimes, just do things that just don't make sense? But yet he still loves you. He still walks with you. He's still there to guide you and direct you and give you strength. And he's invited us. Because you know what? When I'm known by the Lord... I know that I'm loved and I'm accepted. And this great mediator is standing there in the gap. And that means that we can, I can, ready? Last one. Kids, you ready? If you're ready, say, oh yeah. What am I bringing out of this bag? There you go. Let us draw near to God in faith. Let us draw near. There's a whole bowl of lettuce up here, right? I should have put the word hortatory subjunctive on the front of it just so you'd know what this bowl is. Three commands, guys, it's an invitation. What that means in the Greek is this. It, it means it's the case of what if. When he says, let us draw near, there is something that is conditional on something else. I must begin to approach, draw near to the Lord so that then I can stay in this state. And what is that state? Listen to what he says. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Just as it said in 3.6, talking about the, the house of the Son of God, that we hold fast our confidence. It's the same word that's used when Peter and John stand before the Sanhedrin and confidently proclaim Jesus Christ. You and I today, we need some confidence. This isn't one of those things where you go, God, Well, maybe you'll help me out in this. No, I'm going to come to his throne and say, God, because Jesus has passed through, paid the price for me, I'm going to come boldly. You remember the Wizard of Oz? And they're going in to see Oz the first first time, and the lion's got a red bow tied to his tail, and and he's pulling his tail, and he's he's cowering, and they walk in, and the flames are coming out, and and they stand there, and, and, and Dorothy says, well, I'm Dorothy the small and meek. You know, and just trying to humbly come before them because they're wanting to petition his help. Folks, I'm telling you, we're not Dorothy. We're not the scarecrow. We're not the lion and we're not the tin man. We can come boldly. Come on, folks, boldly. That's not arrogantly. That means I know I can walk in and go up to my daddy and say, Dad, I need some grace. Well, why can I say daddy? Because he said to those who have believed have been called the children of God. 
I, I don't want to disrespect God by calling my daddy, but that is exactly what he is. He is my life giver. He is the one who has brought us hope. In fact, if you'll just go ahead and just jump right down to the big word at the very bottom. This God, this word, we need to let that word examine all of us. I want to be in right standing with God. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go out of here and start doing all this good stuff. No! He just told you to rest because Jesus has done the work. What I'm going to do now is live in a relationship of obedience, of pursuit, of glorifying God, not for my self-gain, but his exaltation. And when I put myself, when I let him judge my thoughts, my motivations, my ideas, my paths, my decisions, my commitment, my entire life, then God's able to bring freedom into my life because he's setting me free from those things that are deep down inside. That God. That God. Let us, let's, let's, let's rehearse. Kids, y'all ready? So we're going to go back through the outline. Ready? One more, t- one more time. Let us do our best. Let us hold firm and let us draw near. Because in their outline, Mr. Timothy put a word in there for you. Jesus suffered for you and me. And when we dig down into chapter 5, you know what we find? Jesus learned obedience. He learned to obey. You need to put B-E in your outline there. He learned, why did he have to learn to obey? Wait a minute, that's a little bit weird. Because Jesus is God, so the one who's wanting the obedience is obeying in his humankind, his humanity. Jesus was able to peer through what it's like to be you and me. But he did it without sin. And you know what? That's what I hold today. Caleb and them want to come on up and start playing. They can cut me off because I'm going to wrap this up. We need to embrace the Word of God. That's what we need to do today. Folks, I don't know where you are with your relationship with the Word, but I'm going to encourage you to rekindle it. Rekindle your love for this. This shows me who God is, reminds me of who I am, and gives me hope. We're a people of hope, right? We're a place of hope. And as a people of hope, we own. We own, right? We own it. And one of the things that we own is our confession. Make your confession sure. And in doing that, what if today, in prayer, you were to yield yourself before the Lord and say, you know what, God? Here's the scalpel. Here's the scalpel. I need you to look over me. Every aspect, every part, and show me. And finally, before we leave today, this is going to be awesome. I want everybody to stand. We do family worships about, you know, two or three times a year. But I don't know any other time when our kids are right here next to us. Mom, dads, grandparents, foster parents, whoever you are, I want you to grab your kids and put them between you. Now, I know some of you are in here today, maybe your family's not here or you don't have family with you. Um, families, I want y'all to adopt those people. Bring them into your circle. I don't want anybody standing by themselves. And as Josiah prays and uh, plays, you're probably praying too. Happy birthday, by the way. As you're playing, we're going to pray over our families. And families, those that have jumped into your circle, pray for them too. Take this moment to bathe our children in prayer. Because guys, we are serious about the next gen. Why? Because we want them to know Christ. 
We want them to grow in their faith and we want to make a difference. And for those of us, as Jeremy said, that may be a little bit older, God's not done with us yet. As long as there's breath going in and out of these lungs, God's got something for you and me to do. And as I stand before the Lord and let His Word read me, as I read His Word, let it read me, analyze me, show me, just like the psalmist wrote, see if there be any wicked way in me, then I lay that before Him. So right now, as He plays, I just want you to pray. Pray over your family. Father, as we are gathered around our children, our teenagers, our spouses, our grandparents, our friends that have come into our circle, God, we are one family in this room. God, let us be sure today that as we stand here, as we draw close to you, as we draw near, Lord, let your word be living and active in our lives. Lord, I don't want to take for granted that there may be somebody in here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, who has not yet accepted Christ to believe that He's the Son of God who died on the cross to forgive my sin and raised again to give me life. I pray today that in this moment that they would confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God and tell you that they want that free gift of eternal life. And Lord, that you would save them because you're the one that does that work. We can't save ourselves. We present our faith, and as, as the Scripture said, that word of the gospel in our faith, unify. And in that I find salvation, I find grace, and I find mercy. So Lord, I pray that you look, watch, look over us. Look at our heart, our minds, our thoughts, everything we have. And Lord, today there may be somebody in the room that feels like they haven't walked with you the way they should. God doing more good things to make themselves look better is not the answer. What they need to do is find that life of obedience in the gospel. And so, Lord, that whatever they do, they're not doing it for selfish gain. They're doing it to glorify the God who saved them. So, Lord, touch our families today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, before you leave, I do want to point out in the bulletin we had some people join our church last month. The Fortners, Asher, Kirkland, Cooper, and Lily Pischke. And we want to let them know today just how happy we are that they are a part of our church family. And if you notice, there have been 68 people joined since last September. Thank you. 60 since the first of the year. And if you're interested in joining our, our family, making this your home, our next Discover class is the first Sunday in August, August 6th. I want to encourage you, go online today. Go online today and sign up. Come to that class. The next thing you do is you're sent, sent a letter to sign, and then you're home. But either way, I hope you feel like everybody in this room has found a home at Ebenezer. God bless you guys. Happy Independence Day.